The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the 16th episode of the Keeper Cup podcast. This is Chad Young, joined as always by my co-host Pete Ball. We are very excited to be with you today. We've got lots of stuff on the docket. We've, we're going to spend some time today diving into players who have changed value. And by changed value, what we mean here is we're, we're a podcast focused on Keeper Leagues, Auto New and other Keeper formats. And during the season, you're not only watching who is producing for you, but who might be your keepers, who are guys who have value for next year. And sometimes you come into the season with an expectation of, you know, these five guys are definitely going to be among my, you know, I have 10 keepers for next year. These five are definitely going to be among them. Two months later, that's not always the case. There's guys who've stepped into that group. There's guys who have fallen out of that group. So we're going to spend a little bit of time today talking about that. But before we dive into that, we are also right in the heat of trade season in fantasy baseball leagues. Talked about this last week in our episode, but I've started to make a couple trades. Have you got anything going on? Any anything on the hot stove? I do, Chad. I do. I just accepted yesterday because I'm I'm fed up with my offense. As you know, I went pitching heavy in like all my leagues and it hasn't been as much of a disaster like if you told me the the dead and balls are gonna have this much of an impact i was i would think that i was gonna lose most of my leagues this year because i went so heavy in pitching but i've actually been pretty afloat in my leagues but my hitting in this one in particular this is one of my favorite leagues my home league 16 team keeper um has been has been pretty bad and so i traded anthony rizzo and jaron duran for josh bell and anthony santander it's an interesting one. I mean, Bell has been coming on of late, and, it, and if he can perform and match or top what you're getting out of Rizzo, which I think is very possible, then you add Santander instead of Duran, who not only is Duran not doing anything for you right now, but he was out of the Olympic team. So it's going to yes. be a little while, right? And I've, I've got him in a league, in an auto new league, where I thought he might be up in May, maybe in June. I don't think that's the case anymore. And I, I think part of that is the the actual delay from the Olympic team. The other part of it is, I think the Red Sox are telling us something by letting him go to the Olympic team, right? He wasn't next in line. They weren't sitting in a situation where they were going, man, like if Verdugo gets hurt, who are we going to call up? Well, it'd be Duran. They've got other plans. <laughs> and so they were comfortable letting him go. And that's That to me is a little, a little nerve wracking as a Duran fan. I wouldn't be too worried. I mean, it, it's a good point. I mean, first of all, they brought in Danny Santana for a reason. And, you know, the power's been, I think he's like three for 14 so far. He's doing exactly what I think they expected, which was strike out a lot, impact the ball hard, and steal bases. I mean, that's basically what he's done. But now you add him into the mix. You've still got Marwin in the mix. The Red Sox have been lucky, knock on wood. They haven't had to deal with as many injuries as, as many other clubs, particularly their rival Yankees. They're like the they only just, team that isn't just racked with injuries. Right. Right, which is almost as a fan, like never the case. I mean, they are, you know, still without their ace, but that's that's when they went into the season knowing. But they just optioned Franchi Cordero today. So thinning the outfield pool, making maybe some believe that maybe Duran is on his way up, but nope, he's off to the Olympic qualifiers. I don't know if that I, I don't know how that process works, to be honest with you. Yeah, but. they they start with the the roster for the qualifiers and it is it's almost like a player pool. Like it should be a a bunch of those guys who end up then going to the Olympics, assuming they qualify. 
I don't know what that means for Duran, right? The Red Sox, I don't think, have agreed to that yet. But okay. they've given him up for a couple of weeks. And I, and I do think I think they've got options in their outfield. And so I think for me, it was just this like, you know what? They didn't think they were going to need him in the next couple of weeks. And they didn't even think like he's close enough that in an emergency, they might call him up in the next couple of weeks. They're thinking further out with him. And so I still think we see him this year. I don't think we see him in June. I think at the earliest, we're looking July, maybe post All-Star break, something like that. Well, on the surface, his numbers look great, but I, I remember reading, and this this was like last week, so it couldn't have gone down much if it has gone down. His swinging strike rate was like like seventeen percent or something like that. So, like, yes, he's he's dynamic, and when he hits the ball, it's 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 hard, and he's already got you know like four or five homers in this very short start to the season so far at AAA. But there's there's work to be done there for Durant. There's a reason why he's 24 years old and still you know in the minor leagues. There's a reason for that. So yeah. as he continues to burst onto the scene, he's going to have to iron out these warts. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's that's a good thing to sort of keep an eye on with him. And you know, there was some talk about is it is it a problem for him and Cassis and others who are going to be away from their organizations for the Olympics? And someone was saying like they get to be with all these other major leaguers, like like older veterans that are nearing retirement maybe, but are exactly the kind of guys that I think you want them around. And it'll be really good experience, I think, for those for those younger players who are on that team. And, you know, maybe he picks up something from a couple of those guys about how to cut down on those those swing strikes. Sometimes it's easier to listen to someone like that than it is your your hitting coach that you've been going back and forth with for years already. And so, you know, we'll see. I'm still excited about Duran. I just, you know, the, the league where I have him on my roster is my OPL team. Have we talked about OPL at all? We have not. The Auto New Prestige League. Uh, no, but I see the little blue logos. Yeah. They look like little Pokeballs, the Auto yes. logo there. So the Auto New Prestige League, this is this is super cool. And for anyone who's playing Auto New, you should be aware of it. For anyone who's not playing Auto New, it's maybe a reason to get in. It is new this year. Starting next year. Any team that finishes in the top half of their league, it has to be a 12-team league, you have to finish in the top six, is eligible to enter the Prestige League. The Prestige League is effectively a best ball league made up of teams from a bunch of different leagues. So by what I've by entering your team, there's up to this year there were 240 teams in it. So your roster for the OPL locks on the first of April, the first day of the season, really, and then any ads or drops you make during that month don't count during that month. And then you get Fangraph points scoring, best ball version, every day through this through that month. And at the end of that month, the top 170 teams advanced and continued into the second round, and 70 teams were cut out. And then on May 1st, again, there was a snapshot of your roster. So any roster moves you make or during the month of April are reflected for the month of May. And in May, now there's 170 teams, and in four days, it's going to cut down to 100. No, yeah, 100. The top 100 are going to make it to the third round. And again, there will be another snapshot. And so one of the things that's come out very clearly from from the OPL data so far is that having dead roster spots really hurts. In a, and it makes sense, right? In a best ball format where a guy like Duran is giving you nothing because he's not playing Major League Baseball, the value difference between him and even like I don't know, Danny Santana, someone who isn't necessarily that good a fantasy player, like once or twice a week, Danny Santana puts up a good game and therefore is really valuable in a best ball format. So my team that's in OPL, I'm trying to figure out how to get myself set up for this next snapshot because I went into, I easily made the top 170 coming out of April and then, but was right around the 100 cutoff when the month started and dropped down as far as like 120 overall in the first week of May, I'm now up in the 50s. And so I've made a big run. The next round goes from June 1st through the All-Star break. And then then the top 32 go into a a head-to-head knockout tournament for the rest of the season. But I got to get into that top 32 if I want to be part of that tournament. And so I'm trying to figure out how to maximize my roster. And one of the things I'm trying to do is trade away my prospects. And Duran is a guy who, when I picked him up, I picked him up early in May. I didn't pick him up before the May snapshot because I wanted to make sure he wasn't killing a roster spot. But then what happened is when I picked him up on May 5th or whatever, I cut someone. The player I cut is still part of my best ball OPL roster. And and Duran is on my regular roster. And I sort of thought he might get called up in May. And by the time June rolled around, he'd be creating value for me. Hmm. That's clearly not the case. And now I feel like it's far enough off that I got to 
I got to move on from him if I can. So I'm, I'm shopping him. Yeah. The Olympics thing is really, it's just provided a snag because I think, yeah. I think you, you would have been right. I, I honestly think he would have been up if not now by the end of next week. I mean, it would have been like, he's on his way, right. Especially with this Cordero move. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's the wrinkle right there. Yep. So the other thing I did in that league because of that dead roster spot issue is $20 Michael Conforto on that roster, who I love. I'm a huge Conforto fan. He's now out through at least late June, might be longer. And so I traded my $20 Conforto for a $30 Miguel Sano, and I get cap relief in the deal too. I got an $18 loan. So I got $8 in cap space back in that deal. I just lost Luke Voigt to an injury in that league after he sat all April and then didn't do anything for me and then came back and was terrible. And now he's hurt again. So Sano is a big help for me because I need help. I, need, I needed more help at those corner spots. I don't know. He qualifies at third base and first base. And so he's, he's pretty useful. It's unfortunate for me because Conforto to me at $22 next year was a clear keeper. And now he's gone, but I want to win this thing. So yeah, see, that's, yeah. that's your MO right there. Chad is not looking even two feet ahead. He's looking two inches ahead. That's right. Just keep <laughs> running. That's right. With that, the other thing that's sort of exciting going on right now is we are about 10 minutes away from Alec Manoa taking the hill against the Yankees, which is welcome to the major leagues, kid. <laughs> Have fun. <laughs> Face the Yankees at Yankee Stadium. Or what's are you excited about the Yankees? What? What's left well, of the Yankees? Yeah, yeah, fair enough. But what's left of the Yankees, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at their lineup for today right now. LeMahieu, Odor has been much better since he went there and still has a lot of power. <laughs> Judge, Glaber Torres, Mike Ford, Clint Frazier, Miguel Anjahar, Brett Gardner, Kyle Higashioka. There are a lot of teams that would be very happy to have that lineup. <laughs> and that's literally just like the spare parts the Yankees had lying around when everyone else got hurt. That's very true. That's very You true. excited about Manoa? I am. Yeah. I mean, first of all, he's massive. So like, I, I don't know. I, maybe it's just a weird thing, but I think guys are going to hold up better when they have that kind of size at the starting pitcher position. So that in and of itself, I mean, he's flown up the ranks. Yeah, he, he's listed. It's six, six, two sixty. Woo. He's That's a big, big boy. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to go see him. It's just so hard to get tickets. I, I figured I was going to have no problem. So it used to be the Pawtucket Red Sox. Now it's the Worcester Woo Sox. And he, yes, he was going to pitch, I think, for the second time against the Woo Sox. It was like last Tuesday or the Tuesday before that. And you can't get tickets. But that's besides the point. Yes, I'm excited about Manoa. A lot of power there. He's flown up the prospect rankings. And this was a point we were talking about before we started the show, Chad. He's, he's like my last hope here for prospects because it seems like and this was talked about on the podcast i listen to fantasy baseball today quite a bit where like we've hit a little bit of a lull in terms of prospect production like it, it looks like alex kirilov is going to be something like I, i'm excited about kirilov and in a redraft league i would like to have kirilov if Brian hayes was healthy i would like to have Brian hayes and i'd be happy to have ian anderson Okay, and those two might have lost their rookie eligibility last year, but I don't think either of them did. Yeah, neither of them did. But I mean, all the other prospects that have been called up the last two years, like which ones have hit any of them other than maybe relievers? The other name I'll throw out there at you for a bat that I like even for this year is Trevor Larnock. Larnock right now is is posting, he's only got a 212 average, but a 339 on base percentage, 404 slugging. His his BAPIP is 281, but I think it'll get higher because I think he, he hits the ball pretty well. His average exit velocity is 90.3. I know everyone's average exit velocities are up. His max exit velocity is 116. Larnock can hit the ball. Wow. And he's got a great eye. He's always run high on base. So I'm super high on Trevor Larnock, and I think he's he's not quite killing it yet, but he is doing quite well. But yeah, you're right. I mean, I think especially when you look at pitchers, like Lynch came up, and there was so Ugh. much excitement around Lynch, and he was terrible. Logan Gilbert been fine recently. His lat like he started this week, and it was a decent start. It was only four innings, I think, but it was a decent four innings. But he really has not lived up to what was expected. I think like I'm looking at the the rookie leaderboards right now on Fangraphs. And there are really, there are four names that stand out. There's a few others that have been pretty good, but there are four names that stand out at the top. So from, from bottom, 
from worst to first, fourth to first in terms of war so far this year. Your mean Mercedes, a, a ridiculous story. Jazz Chisholm, who we have talked about plenty yes. on the show. You are a jazz fan. I, I should have mentioned him. That was my bad. Randy Arozarena, who I think people don't think about as a rookie because he made such a big splash in the postseason last year, but it was the postseason, and so he's still a rookie. And Adolis Garcia, right? who is... I think, is he tied for the Major League leading home runs now? Uh, it's it's got to be close, but I thought What's-His-Face just hit his 15th or 16th. So Adelis has 16. I'm going to... I'm gonna. Oh, then he has to. Nobody setting. has... I don't think anybody has 17. And this Let's is May see. 27th right now, folks. Like, yes. the middle of games. But yeah, he's got, he's got 16 home runs in 41 games. <sighs> I mean, he is just killing the ball. And yeah, he is tied with Vlad. But Vlad's had 36 more plate appearances over six more games. So, so Garcia's been impressive. <laughs> he has, but you know, he's kind of that's kind of like the theme though. Like I think, all right, Garcia, Mercedes, and then think last year, Jake Cronenworth. The rookies that seem to be like making that big of an impact are older. I mean, those are those are much older than your standard and not prospects. prospects. They're not right. they weren't prospects, right? Yeah, they weren't they're, like they're rookies. Yeah. Nobody was looking at nobody had Adelis Garcia on a top hundred list or anything this year, as far as I know. I'm again looking at his Fangraphs page right now. His prospect report, his future value on Fangraphs was a 35 plus. So for those who are not familiar with the scouting scale, 35 plus means we felt like we should write something about him, but you'll probably never hear about him again. <laughs> That's basically what a 35 plus <laughs> overall grade means. He has far exceeded that already. He's he's a super interesting guy because he runs too. We talked about that, you know, he's tied for the major league lead with 16 home runs. He's got five stolen bases in those 40 games. So if you, if you prorate 40 games over a season, he is on a, now he's not going to keep this up. He is on a 60 home run, 20 stolen base pace through 40 games. <laughs> That that's what you get if you you take that out to a hundred and sixty two game sample. So, yeah, man, Adelis I think Garcia. he's gonna do it. I think he's gonna do it. <laughs> <laughs> that would be something. That would be something. Uh, but he is a good example of the kind of guy that we are going to talk about today. One of the kinds of guys we're going to talk about today, which is guys who have meaningfully changed their keeper value. Uh, and these are players who coming into the season, you either were really high on, and now you're not so high on or you were really low on, or didn't know about, or had never heard of, and now you think they're potentially keepers for you. Garcia made my my draft list when I was figuring out who I was going to talk about here, but I've decided I'm not going to talk about him in detail here. There's other guys to talk about too, and I feel like he's getting enough attention, but he certainly falls into this category. For you, Pete, when you're thinking about guys who change their value, positive or negative, what are you looking for? Because it's not enough, I guess say, it's not enough just breakout, right? There's got to be something else going on. So it's, I first of all, I think it's harder for hitters than it is for pitchers. Because for pitchers, it's a lot easier to see the changes, at least to my novice eye. I'm comfortable saying that. So, you know, you look at their pitching repertoire, their sequencing. Do they Have they added a third pitch? Have they added a fourth pitch? Where's the velocity at? Is it significantly up from where it's been at in the past? Is it a player who had command and control issues but is not walking anybody? Those are the types of changes to me that like those can stick. And so when you see that with a pitcher, like that's something that, okay, I'm going to latch onto that. I mean, Corbin Burns had command and control issues. He doesn't walk anybody anymore. That's an easily identifiable change that he has made. Obviously, he was tremendous last year as well. So he's not one of my choices for this exercise. But I think that kind of change is is, is what I'm talking about there. The change that Freddie Peralta made, right, with his use of the slider as a secondary pitch as opposed to the curveball. Those are the kinds of differences, those kinds of changes that I think for pitchers are easily identifiable. For hitters, it's it's not as easy. What about for hitters? What are you looking at with hitters? For hitters, it's it's a lot more difficult because I think people gravitate towards expected stats. But when we're talking about this early in the season, a lot of expected stats, they're not predictive. It's just what they, they should have done. So then you have to look at, okay, well, maybe this player's expected stats are way better than we expected them to be. And so then look at why that is the case. If everything else looks the same, and I'm talking about in terms of plate discipline, in terms of batted ball profile, 
then you know what? They're probably just off to a nice hot start and maybe there's not that much of a difference. But if a player is maybe walking more, striking out less, hitting less ground balls, getting balls in the air more, those are the kinds of changes that you can begin to think like, all right, maybe this is a real tangible change that, you know, they always had this potential. Maybe some coach is tapping into it. They're making adjustments. They're getting the launch angle up, which launch angle is one area I really don't feel comfortable talking about particularly because Christian Yellick came out so strongly. I don't want to say against it, and I'm, I'm not a, against. I don't know if that's a thing, launch angle. I mean, obviously, it correlates well with how much lift you get in the ball, right? But I'm, I'm, I'm getting a little bit sidetracked here. I don't look at launch angle and say, like, okay, this guy's launch angle is really high now, so he's made some adjustment and he's better now. Like, I, I don't think it's that simple. Nevertheless, batted ball profile and plate discipline are where I'm going to look. And even then, no pun intended. You're going to swing and miss in the second. Like remember Joey Gallo, because I'm going to bring this up. Joey Gallo's first half in 2019, he looked like a whole new player. He's batting 275 at the all-star break. And what's he done since then? Right. So it's very, I think it's very difficult for hitters and I didn't make me to make it seem like it's easy for pitchers. I mean, folks, I, I'm going to be wrong half the time. If I was right, I wouldn't have drafted Luis Castillo in, in as many leagues as I did. But I do think at least to to the the novice eye, those changes that pitchers make are more identifiable than the changes that hitters make. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I, you know, I do. I think the plate discipline stuff really helps. I also, I, I find with hitters, I'm looking for more evidence of an intentional change, right? So like when a hitter tells me, not me. They don't tell me anything. Hitters don't talk to me. <laughs> but when they tell somebody else who then writes about it and I read about it, that they are intentionally trying to, you know, focus on seeing more pitches. They are intentionally, they've changed their stance in some way. Then I start looking at, okay, they, they changed their stance. They claim it's helping them see the ball better and they're hitting the ball harder and their walk rate has gone up and their chase rate's gone down. Like all of that together, then I start to feel like, all right, got it. Whereas like, I don't need a pitcher to tell me their intent. Like I've been, I'm trying to throw my fastball more. They either are or they aren't. <laughs> and I can right. see that in the numbers. Whereas I, I think that that intention is a little bit harder to read with hitters. And that's really what it comes down to. I'm looking for something, you know, did they do something intentional? At this point in the season with a lot of guys, we don't have it. And so now I'm sort of speculating. I'm seeing something that makes me say, yeah, yeah, okay. That looks like it's it's a real change they've tried to make. So... With that, let's dive into this. What we're going to do is we're going to go through an infielder, an outfielder, a hitter, and some starting pitchers from each of us on, on names of guys that we think have changed their value for, for better or worse. These Some of these are going to be improvers and some of them are not. So let's start on the infield. Pete, who you got? So I went with the hometown guy. Rafael Devers is off to a hot start, just 24 years old. So obviously in those long-term leagues. His value has increased right now. He's the number one third baseman on ESPN's player Raider, which basically like weights the five different offensive categories and you get your your ranking. It's not the greatest thing in the world. And I think it overvalues stolen bases. That's besides the point. Um, He's had a much more aggressive approach at the plate. It's kind of rekindled that breakout we saw in 2019. He's swinging more, particularly much more in the zone. And although it isn't resulting in a significantly higher rate of contact compared to 2020 it is resulting in a higher volume of balls going into play and he is scorching them his expected numbers are closer to the breakout 2019 which again i cautioned the the expected numbers before but when they look this good for a player who this isn't coming out of nowhere i mean rafael devers was drafted as a top 50 player it kind of reinforces what we're hoping to see and that goes against that lackluster 2020 and his hard hit percentage is off the charts. It's at 53.7%. He has 24 barrels. That's the third most in baseball. That is one more than Vlad Guerrero Jr. And he's doing pretty well. And so I just want to end with a couple of things here that I do think we need to see from Devers. He's really, really struggling with fastballs. He's seeing more of them, which is why despite all the great power metrics, he's still only hitting 278. I expect him to improve on fastballs. He hit 308 off them in 2019, but he's sub 200 against them this year because because he's still so young though, I could I think he could improve on that. And like I said, he did hit 308 off of them in uh 2019, but besides the point, even with struggling so much on fastballs and seeing so many fastballs, he still has a 954 OPS. So, how much is it really affecting his his fantasy value? I, I'm not sure it's that much. And the K percentage is still really high. 
Uh, that was one that I know you brought up before the season. It was like, all right, 2019 really looked like an outlier in terms of K percentage where it dropped all the way to like 17% or something. And it definitely does look like an outlier. It's much higher than it was like right now than it was in 2019. It's it's in line with those other years. However, he's also walking more than he ever has before. So the plate discipline in that direction is at least going in a positive way. So I think Devers is kind of making us feel better about that that stinky 2020 and is now like re-establishing his keeper value. Yeah, I think that's, I think it's reasonable. I think there's some really good signs with him. I, my, my big concern with him, it remains the plate discipline and, and the strikeout rate is still not very good. It's not terrible, but it's not great. And it's, it's where, like you said, it's, it's where it was during the bad year and not even close to where it was like that 2019 breakout. He had a 17% K rate. And it was like, mm-hmm. wow, if he's established something new here, that's really something. Uh, the thing that's a little concerning to me with the walk rate is the walk rate has jumped, but I'm not really sure I see why, like he's not chasing a whole lot less. He's chasing a little bit less and he's swinging more aggressively in the zone, which should lead to shorter plate appearances, except he's not making as much contact. And so, I, I don't know. I'm. He's definitely raised his value for me. I, I can't say he... I, he's definitely raised his value for me. I can't say he hasn't, because I was down on him coming into the season, and, and that's clearly been proven <laughs> inaccurate. In a redraft... I would be looking to shop him for somebody who believes he's the best third baseman in fantasy because he's not. I don't think, at least I don't think he is. But yeah, from a keeper value perspective, he's definitely raised the price at which I would keep him with the way he's performed so far this year. So real quick, and I agree on the redraft thing. I think if, if someone's valuing Devers right now as if he's like a first or second rounder, and he, he may end up being that, who knows? But I think I would I would trade that as well. But you know, you brought up the increase increase walk rate even though he's not you know this the swinging stuff doesn't look any different the bottom of the red sox lineup has been absolutely horrible and so i think when devers is batting fifth in the lineup maybe a little bit maybe sixth some nights i'd have to look it up i can't remember where he's he's batting most nights because they've dealt with a slew of injuries lately i pitch around the guy if he's swinging the bat this hot because the bottom of the red sox lineup has been an absolute just crap show but he's seeing more pitches in the zone than last year sure. and right around where he was the two years before that. So I, I don't know. I'm not sure what it is and we'll, we'll see. Maybe it, maybe it is just that, you know, he's, it may be the case that like when pitchers go after him, they're going after him and he's swinging at everything in the zone and he's not chasing a ton. And when they pitch around him, they're just throwing four terrible pitches and letting him go. And that's what's sort of inflating the walk rate or keeping the walk rate up. I don't know. We'll see. I I'm, that's the one thing with him I'm still sort of watching. But sure. yeah, I think he makes sense. The infielder that I picked is Austin Riley. Wrote about him in the offseason because he made real improvements in his plate discipline last year. And they got sort of hidden because he showed no power last year for, I don't know, some reason. I don't know what. He, he's a power hitter, so there's no reason he should have shown, shown such little. But from 2019 to 2020, his chase rate went from 41.3 to 37.1. His walk rate went from 5.4 to 7.8. His K rate had been 36.4 in 2019. It came down to 23.8 last year. Then this year, oh, and he also brought down his swinging strike rate from 20.5 to 14.8. This year, the chase rate is down even further to 31.2. The swing strike rate is down even further to 12.3%. His contact rate is up a bit after making a big jump last year. His walk rate is 11.1%, which would be higher than he's ever shown since a 13.6% in 2018 in rookie ball. That's the only time he's had a stop anywhere with a walk rate over higher than the 11.1% he's showing right now. The strikeout rate's gone up a bit. It's up to 28.6, but I'm, I'm right now that looks like a a patience related thing he's allowing his strikeout rate to go up because he's waiting on he's not chasing and he's waiting on pitches and so he's probably taking more in the zone which he is his his z swing is down from 79.6 last year to 72 this year so he's taking more pitches he's waiting for his pitches and he's crushing them when he gets them he's got a career high in max ev which i know everyone does he's also got a career high in barrel rate he's got a career high in hard hit percentage his 
Woba right now is 409 as X Woba is 370. So there's there's some negative regression probably coming. But like you said, that isn't necessarily predictive. But there's room for an awful lot of negative regression from a 409 Woba and to still feel very good about Austin Riley. In most leagues, I believe he's third base only, but he is super valuable as a third baseman or corner infielder. In Auto New, and I think in Yahoo, he's got outfield eligibility as well, which just raises that value. Uh, I'm, I'm super high on him, and he has moved for me from a guy that preseason, I was high on him preseason and thought of him as a breakout candidate. He has now broken out, and to me, he's moved into that keeper caliber third base discussion. No question. He has, I mean, he's just a hitter. He's going the opposite way, basically a third of his at bats. He's a guy who's going to get his bat on the ball. I think you're right. He needs to, he needs to be more aggressive at the plate. We're seeing, like you said, the highest K rate as well as the highest walk rate really of his career, other than that exorbitant K rate his rookie year. But I think he's actually a great example of, you know, we were talking earlier about prospects and how so many of them just haven't hit how to like not give up on them because I'm actually guilty of this with Austin Riley after you know how unexciting he was after the first like two weeks of his debut if you remember his debut he hit like i don't know five home runs in his first like 15 games and then after and then that fell off, off the chart yeah yes and after that i was like especially after last season i i, I didn't have any time for this guy's like not forget it but that's that's wrong to do i mean we have this false sense of like instant gratification with these guys where you need to be a little bit patient and now if you were patient and you've got Riley in a keeper, you have a 24-year-old potential stud at third base. And that lineup, I know it keeps getting hit. It's still a stacked lineup with Riley in it. So, yeah, no, I think that's a good pick. And I, I would buy high on him in my keeper leagues, I think. Yeah, I, I would too. So let's jump from the infield to the outfield. Lots of names I looked at here. We talked about Adelise Garcia before as a guy who clearly has raised his value from no one's ever heard of him to... <laughs> leading majors and home runs who else though right yeah there's so many so many candidates for outfield because not only have a lot of people come out of nowhere like your i don't know i don't want to say jared walsh came out of nowhere because he had a really nice year but jared walsh and the guy i chose and the guy you chose but also the top has either been injured or disappointed but i went with willie calhoun who i'm a big fan of i was a big fan of him as he was coming up he was a highly regarded prospect he looked like he was breaking out in 2019. He had an 848 OPS. But then if you remember in the spring of 2020, he got clocked in the face with a 95 mile an hour fastball from, I believe it was Julio Urias. It doesn't matter who it's from. It's going 95 miles an Just hour. Terrifying. So, yes. And I, I remember the aftershot. I mean, it was, it was awful. It was awful. And, and unsurprisingly, when he finally came back, he wasn't good. Who would be good after that? And I don't think we took that into account. And I should stop saying we. I don't think I took that into account enough in draft season. So I missed out on him in a lot of spots. But fortunately, I was able to pick him up in free agency because everybody missed out on him. And he looks like he's picking up where he left off in 2019. He hardly ever strikes out. He's posting a career low strikeout rate at 13%. And his 8.6 walk percentage would actually be a career high. He's got a 47.2 hard hit percentage, which is exciting seeing that power beginning to develop. And he hits few ground balls. He's under the league average in ground balls by about five percentage points, which may impact his batting average a little bit by, by hitting so many balls in the air. If I'm getting Willie Calhoun, I kind of want him for that power. So I like to see that he does need to stop popping the ball up so much. His pop-up percentage is like oddly high. I don't know if he's getting, if pitchers are pitching him in and he's getting jammed, but he has an 11% pop-up rate this year and he had 11% last year which are both like significant it's only four percentage points but it's, it's kind of significant when the league average is only seven percent and he's also kind of the opposite of Devers where he murders fastballs I don't know why anybody throws Willie Calhoun a fastball but he has been terrible against off-speed and breaking pitchers this year and the lineup around him is terrible but if you can get past those things I, I think Willie Calhoun has successfully recouped his 2019 value you can see a theme here I kind of felt the same way with Devers uh, and I like Willie Calhoun I'm in on him the thing that jumps out at me when I look at Calhoun is last year, he actually, he got pretty passive at the plate. His O swing and his Z swing went way down, but he just wasn't hitting the ball as hard. And his BAPIP dropped and his home run per fly ball rate dropped. And, you know, maybe he was a little tentative after getting hit in the face. Maybe it was just a thing that happened. It was only 29 games. So maybe just, you know, 29 games, weird things can happen. But you go to this year, and he's got that plate discipline, just like he always has, and the power is back. 
his exit velocities are up, his max exit velocity is up, his barrel rate is up, his hard hit rate is up, and his BABIP is, it's still not high, but it's back to where it should be. It's like a 272, which is probably about where he'll end up. And his home run per fly ball rate at 11.6% probably has room to go up from there, given how hard he hits the ball. So yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of this. I think this is a really good pick. And I don't really see any red flags here. I mean, I think the the... You know, the red flags we saw in Devers were more of a, has he established himself as the number one third baseman like he appears to be right now, or is he more like a top five to seven guy? Calhoun hasn't quite established himself at that height. And so there's not the same concern about that, but I don't have any, I don't see anything to be worried about here. And if folks are, if folks passed on him earlier, if they saw it, oh, Willie Calhoun, great, but you had no room because he was DH only. I know he was in ESPN. He probably was in CBS as well. He now has outfield eligibility. So I would scoop him up. Yeah, for sure. So let's take a a quick break from this because Alec Manoa is now on the mound. And so by the time anyone listens to this on Monday, this is going to be old news. He started off the game by throwing four straight balls to DJ LeMayhew and then struck out Rugnit Odor on three straight pitches. So (laughs) back and forth. He also just made Aaron Judge look very silly swinging through a 3-1 pitch. And now he just threw 97 down and in, right by Judge. Terrible swing by Judge to strike him out. So he's got two oh, straight strikeouts. Wow. That after... was... Okay. Sorry, I'm on a delay, so... Oh. <laughs> yeah. That's just... A, that is just hitting your spot in a place where Judge, there's nothing he can do with that. That was a nice yeah. pitch. He just waved it. He clearly was not expecting the fastball right down the pipe. No. So, let's, uh, let's get back into this. My outfielder, Cedric Mullins. You know, if I go back to look at what he's done the last couple of years, it's going to be a repeated theme. His plate discipline is better. He is chasing less. He is making more contact. He is walking more and striking out less because of those things. He's running a high BAPIP, but he's a high BAPIP kind of guy, I think. Probably not the 352 he's running right now, but I think he'll continue to run BAPIPs over 300. He's got six home runs, six stolen bases in about 50 games, which is you know, putting him on a borderline 2020 pace which is pretty exciting. And even for those who are not in five by five leagues, you're in an auto new points league, something like that, 370 OBP, 473 slugging. He's just hitting the ball well. And it's showing up in the plate discipline. It's showing up a bit in his uh, X stats as well. Again, the X stats aren't quite up to snuff with where the the actuals are. And so I, I suspect we will likely see some regression there. but. You know, he's a guy who there was a question when he came into the season about like how much playing time he was even going to get. And so any value he had as a keeper was tied up in this, like, how deep are your benches? And can you afford to sit him two to three times a week and all this stuff? And he's putting that all to bed. He is establishing himself a key part of that outfield. Now, that outfield is suddenly kind of crowded. And so we'll see what happens there. But I'm, I'm, I'm much higher on Mullins than I was coming into the season. I was too. I, I missed the boat on Mullins. I was all in on him. I think it was actually like, it was like two or three years ago. We've been hearing about Mullins for a while and he was incons- He wasn't good when he got to the major leagues and, and he was really kind of getting inconsistent play time, spending time, most of his time in the minor leagues. But he is, you said it well, he's simply seeing the ball really well this year and it's showing. I mean, the, the exit velocity isn't really there, but again, especially for categories leagues, this is a guy that really interests me. I think he's one of the few players in the league that are, that is going to give you like strong, dependable stolen base numbers. And now to see the fly ball rate up up where it is and and six home runs already in the year, I think that's something not a lot of people expected from him. I think that's a great pick. Mullins, Mullins was going to be one of my picks probably if you didn't take him. Well, I'm glad I got him. So <laughs> we said we were going to do a hitter at large. Who is your hitter at large? So mine is Joey Gallo. And it's, it's, I'm finally taking the negative. So I'm high endeavors. I think he's got his value. I think, I think Calhoun's improved his value, but Gallo is really worrying me. Another Ranger. Um, most of his advanced stats look the same. Like nothing really looks different except one key thing, right? I mean, he's, he's hitting the ball hard. He whiffs a ton. That's, that's been his MO, but what's concerning is the random spike in ground ball rate. And that could be as simple as a small sample size. It really could. I mean, that, that could be it. He's just, he doesn't have his timing down. And so on those big swings, he's getting a little bit on top of the ball, hitting it in the dirt. I, I understand it could be that. My question is, even if that kind of is what it is, 
I brought up his first half in 2019 earlier. How much, how many of us are still kind of valuing Joey Gallo thinking he can be that guy he was in the first half of 2019, because it's now almost been a full season's worth of games where he hasn't been that he's been back to his MO of striking out a ton. He does pop up a lot. I just think he's a massive batting average drain. And if this ground ball rate really doesn't normalize enough, and he's now a 25 to 30 Homer guy, instead of a 35 plus, what are we, what are we drafting him for? What's, what's the point? I think they're holding on to, and I say, I keep saying they, and, and we, as if I'm not blaming myself for this, I think I've been valuing his, his pre all-star break 2019 too much. And it, it's time to let it go. That's just not who he is. It's not who he's going to be. Even if this ground ball rate normalizes, Joey Gallo has, I've really soured on him after these first two months of the year. So I think this is a case where the types of leagues we play in matters a lot because I don't play a lot of five by five. Almost every league I'm in is an on-base league. And then he's tremendous. Right. And, and it makes a huge difference because right now he's good. This is the bad version of Gallo, and he's been good. And his plate discipline improving makes such a big difference. I think for me, he's he's a hold because of that, right? He's a kind of guy that like in in on base leagues, I'm not worried. I think the power will come back. But I agree with you in my five by fives, in any league where average is a category, there was this vision that maybe he's found a way to 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 maintain that power and be like a 260, 270 hitter. And like, that's just not going to happen. It's just no. not. And he's going to be, he's going to hit somewhere between 200 and 210. And he's going to walk a ton and he's going to hit for a lot of home runs. I really believe the home runs will come back. And so he's a hold, maybe even a buy. But I agree that if you, from a five by five perspective, his value has decreased this year because I think that that, inkling of a possibility that he could stop to be a stop being a drain in average is is gone especially when so average is so hard to find now i mean it it really is your verdugos your brantleys i mean they are few and far between so if you have a joey gallo and you don't have one of those other guys to level it off in five by five he is he's gonna kill you yep so the guy that i called out as my hitter at large. I wrote up at pitcher list not that long ago and said, I think he's going to be fine. And I still think generally he's going to be fine. And that's Francisco Lindor. The problem is that I don't think fine is as fine as people want it to be. And I think, you know, sort of similar to Gallo, people have in their heads, you know, he went through this three-year run where he had a 353 Woba, 368 Woba, 349 Woba, 217, 2017 to 2019. He had more than 30 home runs all three of those years. He had 15, 25, and 22 stolen bases those years. He was over, he was at 99, 129, and 101 runs. I mean, just ridiculous stats from a shortstop. And you can totally see why this guy is a borderline first-round pick. But last year wasn't very good. And I think that that... 2018 high with the 38 home runs and the 25 stolen bases, the 129 runs is setting a false expectation. And I think people bought him or kept him this year. I wouldn't say expecting that, but thinking that that was a reasonable upside projection for him. And I don't think it is. He's, he's actually made some improvements in terms of his plate discipline. He's walking more. His strikeout rate is staying low. Like There's some good things here, but he's not hitting the ball well. And I kind of think in retrospect that that 2018 was just, that was just his career year. Everybody has one. I no longer feel like I can, I can include that in my range of outcomes. And I guess it's unfair. I mean, it, he did it, so it's possible he could do it again. I don't expect he will. And because of that, I'm I'm lower on him. And I think for people who in auctions paid you know first round type prices for him or paid late first, early second round draft picks for him and have to use that next year, he's not gonna be a keeper. Oh no, I, I agree. He's definitely not gonna be a keeper at those prices. I'm I'm holding out hope for Lindor. You know, I, 2018 is a might as well be ancient history when it comes to power. Because 2018 was one of the, those, the height of power years. 
you know, I think that was the playoff where Justin Verlander was complaining about the balls that like everything was just going over the fence. Maybe that was the year before during the playoffs. Can't remember. doesn't matter. Bottom line, during that time period, power was out of control. So it's no surprise that Lindor, a guy who can, who's very good at getting his bat on the ball, his power went up because a lot of those times he got his bat on the ball, it went over the fence. So maybe he is a casualty of, of the dead and balls a little bit. I also think, I mean, look, he just signed a massive monster contract in New York. And that team is falling apart at the seams. So I think he's, he does probably feel a little bit of pressure as well. I think all of those factors do kind of result in like, yeah, he's not going to be as good as we maybe hoped, but there's there's still a chance that things settle down. He gets a little bit more comfortable and, and he begins to turn it around. Yeah, I think I think Francisco Lindor is a very, very good baseball player. And I think he will continue to be a very, very good baseball player. And I am not... Like I'm certainly not cutting him in redraft leagues, in keeper leagues. If the you know it, I, he's getting cut into modern new leagues because his price is so high, and I can understand why people are doing that. But I, I still think there are there's I don't think there are 12 shortstops you can start ahead of him in fantasy right now and and feel good about it. Like so, I'm I'm not getting rid of him, but I don't think he's going to be kept very many places because I think his price reflects a guy that he just isn't. Yeah, I have a $36 Lindor in our Ought New League, chat, And between just that price tag alone, but also having a $28 Trey Turner, there's no way I, I keep Lindor for next year. Yep. I'm letting out state secrets here on the pod. I don't think anybody will be surprised by that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's jump to the mound. What pitcher or pitchers do you have that have most changed their value in your mind? So there, there's an infinite number that we could have gone with, right? Gossman, Urias... Rogers, Burns, Rodon, Musgrove. I went with Michael Kopech because I don't want people to forget about him. I kind of cheated because we said starting pitcher and he's been a reliever this year, but he has made a start. So he's another stack cast darling. His numbers look incredible. The the 2.24 expected ERA is a reflection of a lot of the soft contact that he's generated, which really shouldn't surprise us and proves that he's he's mostly earned that 1.72 ERA. He flew under the radar because there was no spot in drafts that is because there's no, there was no spot in the rotation. Right. And he hadn't pitched since 2018. So, and, and he, he's gone through a lot of stuff between injuries and, and um, you know, he's thought about walking away from baseball apparently. So he's gone through a lot of stuff, but that makes this explosion of a start to 2021 that much more significant in terms of evaluating him going forward because a, a, a former top pitching prospect who we have soured on all of a sudden is like, no, I'm absolutely still here. He's throwing even slightly harder than he was in 2018. Maybe that's because of the relief role, but it's generating way more whiffs uh, on his fastball. And he's a former number one pitching prospect, like I said. So the upside speaks for itself. He does. There are some things I'd like to see. Like, obviously, it'd be nice to see him get some starts. Uh, the most pitches he's thrown in any outing was 87, and that was in that start. And I don't think he's come close since then. Otherwise, at most, it's been in like the 50s. That was a terrific start. He struck out 10 Rangers. He was untouchable. Uh, but that was only because Lance Lynn, I believe, landed on the IL. It's the only reason he was getting a start there. The curveball or the changeup will need to emerge as a solid third offering if he is to be a starter. And obviously, I'm sure they envision him as a starter, as they do crochet, as they do cease, etc. Um, he's, he's very like 2019 Freddie Peralta ish. If Peralta used the slider instead of his curveball, then because that's how much he's leaning on the fastball and on his secondary. And I would like to see just more ground balls. The ground ball percentage is, is way up from 2018, but it's still below league average by quite a few ticks. So it'd be nice if he was getting guys to hit the ball on the, the ground a little bit more. But I, again, I think something like that also might be the fact that he's been a reliever, you know, those late game, big swings, but Michael Kopech, he's, he's, his value's back in, in Dynasty as far as I'm concerned. And for Keeper Leagues, I'd start to consider him. Uh, my fun, here, here's my fun stat about Michael Kopech. So we always talk about guys who have their, their stuff play up in the pen. And he actually seems like, as a guy who really only has two pitches he can lean on and, and can, can really get the gas up when he needs to, he strikes me as the kind of guy who should play up in the pen. This year, in the bullpen, he has a very, very impressive 32.5% K rate and a 10% walk rate. Good numbers. As a starter, he has a 42.2% K rate and a 6.7% walk rate. Now, it is only three starts. It's only a handful of relief. Like, I don't think this is some pattern there. Right. But 
anytime you see a guy getting time in the pen and his overall numbers look good, one of the first things I'm going to go look at is what happens when he's a starter? Does he just, you know, is he great in the pen and really struggling as a starter? And the answer with Kopech is a resounding no. He's been better as a starter than he has in the pen. I'm super, super excited about him. I also think this is a good reminder of the importance of taking like mental health stuff seriously, right? And, and what I what I mean by that is it's easy to look at a guy like Kopak who has had all his personal stuff going on and chose to sat through sit out last year and has all this other stuff happening and like just think he's soft and doesn't have it or to say like yeah I mean I get he's got some issues going on but like that doesn't his body's been fine you know at least the last year or so he should be able to pitch like that isn't how it works and and I think this is a really great example of a guy who has been dealing with some stuff off the field that really matters, that has certainly impacted his desire to play the game, that has certainly impacted his desire and ability to, to pitch at the level he's capable of. And it seems like he's got that stuff behind him. And I hope that's the case because, man, he looks good out there. And I'm just like, it's one of these guys, like, I'm just happy for him. Uh, like, I'm just like, I'm glad to see that going on. And it is a good reminder as as baseball fans, as analysts, as just fans of the game in general, like, when guys are going through that stuff, you know, let them get, let them deal with it the way they need to and, and, and accept that they're dealing with it the way they need to, and that they're getting whatever help they need to get because it's the right thing to do, just like it would be for anyone who isn't a baseball player. So I'm just really happy for him. Speaking of White Sox pitchers that I'm really happy for who are former top prospects and are suddenly breaking out in a big way. I wonder who you could be talking about. <laughs> Carlos Rodon is my selection here. Oh, <laughs> the crazy thing is, I could have been—I could have been taking Cease. There's like, they're like loaded with these guys. Giolito, like. even former yeah. top prospect who was a bust and then became totally. an ace. Yeah, but Rodon, I mean, he has shown flashes before. He had his first two years in the majors were were not great, but were solid. Actually, his first three really, and then he's dealt with injuries, and he's only—I mean, you go back to. 2015, 2016, those first two years, he threw over, he threw 300 innings ish between the two seasons. He made 51 starts between the two seasons. Since then, 2017, 12 starts, 69.1 innings. 2018, 20 starts, 120.2 innings. 2019, seven starts, 34.2 innings. 2020, two starts, two relief appearances, 7.2 innings. This year, he is, he is healthy. He is pitching. And my goodness, is he pitching well? He is comfortably setting a career high in strikeout rate at 38.5%. He had never been over 29%, 29.1% before. He is comfortably setting a walk rate career best at 6.4%. His best prior to that was 7.6%. Guys are chasing his pitches more than they ever have. His swinging strike rate is higher than it's ever been. His home run per nine is lower than it's ever been. His home run per fly ball rate is lower than it's ever been. In a year where everybody's exit velocities are up, his are down. It's just like every stat I look at, I'm just like, yep, this is all this is all good. This is all really, really good. Uh, his velocity is up and it's up a lot. His velocity and his fastball this year is 95.3. It had never been higher than 93.4 back when he was a rookie. Yeah, I'm just, he is a super, super talented guy who has taken a little bit of a roundabout way from elite prospect status to solid but unimpressive starting pitcher to guy who had injury issues and couldn't stay on the field to now at 28 a legitimate breakout and in the American League is he the Cy Young favorite right now I mean I think he because just because of that whip alone I think he has to be right I mean Garrett Cole is right in that conversation I don't want to disrespect yeah. Garrett Cole and, and Glass now has hit a little bit of a rough patch and i think those are the only two that would be in the conversation with rodon and to me i rodon would get my vote yeah i mean right, right now the big thing cole has over rodon is innings he's made mm -hmm. two more starts and thrown 16 more innings which matters obviously rodon with the 1.29 era 2.03 x era cole has a 1.81 era 2.05 x era i i'm not going to argue that cole doesn't deserve it I think, you know, we'll have to see what happens over the next four months. The season is far from over. But the fact that we're sitting here nearing June 1st and 
legit not I don't even think it's a question of whether or not Rodon's in the conversation. It's just a question of whether he's the clear favorite or not. And that is like that's insane. He's gone from a late round pick, guy that some people were high on and taking flyers on, to a must start every time out, doesn't matter who the opponent is. Uh he's gonna be kept everywhere. I, I mean I guess I should say everywhere. There's gonna be those leagues that you only keep three and maybe he doesn't make that list or something like that. But like any every auto new league any league where salary is a factor, any league where draft pick compensation is a factor, you're not going to, he's going to be one of the best keepers on any team. No question. In, in redraft, I might look to sell high, not because I don't believe in him. I do. And I agree with the general point because we're looking long-term and long-term Carlos Rodon is, his value's never been better. With that said, he's already thrown more innings this year than the past two seasons combined. And so with Michael Kopech right there waiting in the wings. It makes it a little easy. It's never easy to do it with a player like Rodon, but it does make it a little easier to give him that phantom dead arm IL stint to give him an extra day of rest every now and then through the rotation. So for that reason, I think I think he's a guy who's given you this big boost at the beginning of the year. And in the second half of the year, if you could move on and get somebody who's going to be pitching at that point, that might be a move to make. But long term, no question. Rodon is here to stay. Yeah, so we got... I want to try to get to each had one more pitcher, but let's make this a lightning round. Who is your All other right. pitcher real quick? Yeah, makes it very easy. Sandy Alcantara. The velocity is awesome. He's finally getting whiffs and strikeouts with that velocity. He's generating a ton of ground balls. The breakout's real. 2.85 expected ERA. If if you wipe out that one outing against the Dodgers, and I think he should get a mulligan because it was one outing and it was the Dodgers. He's been easily one of the best pitchers in baseball, maybe better than Rodon. And his ske- his schedule hasn't been all that challenging. So as he begins to start seeing, you know, the Braves and the, I don't know, Dodgers again, the Padres, like, okay, well that, we'll get some real tests. But Alcantara at just 25 years old, his keeper value is tremendous right now. Yep. And I'm going to go the opposite direction. The 26-year-old who I think has really lost a lot of value, and that's Zach Plesak, kills me as a Cleveland fan. He's injured the now. Injury. And so... Ugh. That'll that'll maybe give him a chance to sort of reset a little bit. He was pitching over his head last year. He had a 2.28 ERA. He was never going to maintain that. But I thought, you know, he showed just elite strikeout and walk ratios. And I like two strikeout to walk ratio, I should say, right? His strikeouts, 27.7%, 9.27 per nine innings were good, not great. But 0.98 walks per nine, a 2.9% walk rate. I thought that he would regress from those, but not to the point he has. He is walking almost twice as many hitters as he was before, which is still an elite walk rate because that's how good he was last year. But he's wa- he, he's striking out um, only 16.2% of hitters instead of the 27.7 from last year. And like that's not going to fly. Maybe he comes back from the injury and puts it back together. But man, I thought there was a chance he would take the next step and actually... like. Last year, his results were better than he was pitching, and I thought there was a chance he might bring his pitching ability up in line with those results, mm-hmm. um, and instead, he, everything's gotten worse. With that, we've got your auto new question of the day. Hit me up. So I promise auto new question of the days going forward are not always going to be about rebuilding and trading, but that's kind of been the theme lately because it is a, a critical point in the season. We're two months and, it, in. and it's a huge part of what auto new is, right? I mean, the, the, the way the, the leagues are structured, rebuilding and making trades and thinking about how you build a roster is, is key to it. Absolutely. And, and that's where my mind has been. And that's why these questions kind of reflect it. So let's say at the moment you've got cap space. Are you looking to buy prospects for the upside and the potential of having, you know, the next jazz chisholm on a cheap contract or do you think it's better to preserve that cap space? It's a good question. It depends on what's going on in your league a little bit. And so the reason I mention that is, especially in more established leagues, there are often players who decide that the best way to improve their team is to cut expensive stars who aren't contributing and then see what shakes loose from that. Right. And, and Give me an example of this. In one of my leagues, um, just this week, somebody cut Mike Trout. So Trout's hurt, right? He's not doing anything for that team for the next couple months. That team is, they're in 10th right now. They had Trout at a very high price. I don't remember what it was, $91. 
So they were not keeping a $93 trout next year. Decided, forget it. I'll cut them loose. This does two things for that team. One, it immediately clears $45 in cap space, which is a ton. And then within a few days, someone's going to re-auction Trout because Trout at a $46 starting bid is a no-brainer, and it's going to clear the other $46. That team now has $91 in cap space to work with. However, the other half of this is the team that won Trout at auction got him for $69. So they've got a decent price on Trout, but in order to clear that, they have to make some serious cuts. So that team has already cut a $38 George Springer, a $40 Francisco Lindor, and they are still $15 over the cap, which means they still have $30 more in players to cut. They have a $38 Corey Seager that I could see them cutting. They have a $12 Luke Voigt, a $10 Spencer Torkelson, $11 Herman Marquez. Like There's a whole bunch of guys that they may have to cut loose. When that happens, the team that cut Trout now has $91 to start bidding on all those guys at half price. There will be other teams that have cap space or other teams that are going to bid, but like there is an opportunity that that team may be able to turn that $91 in cap space into a inexpensive Lindor, an inexpensive Springer, an inexpensive Seager, perhaps, which is a great way to do it. If you have cap space, especially if you have a lot of cap space, and you think something like that might happen in your league. Trout has been cut actually in a couple of my leagues. Lindor is getting cut in some places. You can use that cap space to buy low on players like that. That's more valuable than prospects. However, if you don't think that's happening, or if you have like $8 of cap space and bidding $60 on Trout, you're still going to have to cut a bunch of guys anyways, then... I'm going out and I'm, I, it's not necessarily prospects, but I'm looking for anybody who I think has value for me for next year. Mm-hmm. And I'm also at that point then willing to cut anyone who I know I'm not keeping, especially if I don't think they have trade value. Right. So like that team that cut Lindor, I had inquired about getting Lindor from them, their $40 Lindor, but I really only wanted him to cut him because I'm, I've got uh, good shortstops already in that league and I didn't feel like I needed another one. But as we started to talk about it, it was like he was asking for some pitching. We threw out Tanner Houck's name. That wasn't good enough for him. We talked about maybe George Kirby. Like That's as high as we were willing to go for Lindor sure. at that salary. And so he eventually decided, forget it. I'd rather just cut Lindor and get forty like $20 immediately, another $20 once he gets re-auctioned. Like, that's a better deal for him than trading him for a pitching prospect. He can buy a different pitching prospect. So those are the things I'd be looking at if I'm in that situation is it's not necessarily prospects, but I'm either I'm either preserving the cap space if I have a lot of cap space because I believe that there might be some big cuts coming. Or if I don't think those big cuts are coming or if I don't have as much cap space, it's not necessarily prospects. It's just anyone who I think might be useful to me next year or anyone who I think might be a useful trade chip. I don't know if that answers your question. I feel like no, you are, you're looking for something specific. No, no, that's that's exactly what I was looking for. I mean, it makes sense, right? Like, especially, you know, as everybody knows by now, and I said earlier, Chad's always looking to win next year. And there's no question. That's that's what I'm doing in this league right now. I'm, I'm trying to preserve my, I think my hitting is going to be strong enough as it is. I don't really have to do much. I'm looking to preserve some cap space to go at pitchers in the auction. But I did just put up Nick Lodolo and Edward Escobar. And I landed both and I was pretty happy with that. But that's because of what Chad just, these are not your Jason Dominguez prospects. These are guys who within the next year and a half are probably going to be pitching in the major leagues. And that's going to give me something to, to chew on for, for my, my horrible, horrible pitching staff. Yeah, I think those are those are really great guys because they, they could be up this year even and, and at least show you what they've got. I think it's a really good time to auction players like that because teams that are competing, mm-hmm. especially right now with so many injuries, they can't bid on those guys. Like I'm looking at in, in that league, I am, I think I'm in third in my division, but I'm only two games out of first and I've, I've been playing pretty well. And so I am still competing. I'm not quite ready to sell yet, but my team has just been decimated with injuries. My my IL right now includes Corey Seager, Luis Arise, Austin Hayes, Didi Gregorius, Philip Evans, Giancarlo Stanton, Framber Valdez, Eliezer Hernandez. And then because of that, I don't 
I don't have room on my roster for Cabrera or Lodolo. So even if I want them, I can't bid on them because who am I going to cut? I guess when, when, you know, I guess I could cut Luis Arise or Austin Hayes or something like that. I could cut Didi Gregorius, but like I need to replace those guys with actual players because I have so many players injured right now. And that league isn't even really a bad league for me in terms of my injuries. I mean, I've got, I'm trying to think like in the league where Trout was cut, my IL includes Conforto, Trent Grisham, Alejandro Kirk, Framber Valdez, Zach Gallon, Tony Gonsolin, Justin Verlander, Jose Urquidy, Sixto Sanchez, Edward Cabrera, Mike Clevenger, oh Zach Plesac, Danny Duffy, Zach Britton, and, Ju- and, and Julian Merriweather. Woof. Yeah. So it just is, uh, you know, it's rough out there right now. Uh, and so if you're in a position to not be worried about how many IL spots you're using, and not be worried about competing, and it allows you to grab Cabrera and Lodolo and guys like that for a buck, and hope that they show up this year enough for you to figure out if they're keeper worthy for next year. Go for it. Yeah, that's that's no question. The plan I got going on over here. So as we're wrapping up, I think it's worth noting that Marcus Simeon just hit a home run in Alec Manoa's first start that we've both been watching. Both been very high in Simeon, so nice yes. to see him. He's That's the his face 13th of the Keeper of the year. Cut podcast. He really should be. We should see if we can get him on the podcast. Oh my God, that would like be him. amazing. Yes. In the meantime, Manoa threw two innings, three strikeouts, a walk. That first walk, he threw four straight balls to LeMayhew. And since then, three strikeouts and a hit, a single. All right. Not, not bad. So we're, we're getting a, we're getting a rookie who's actually making a good start here. With that, we are going to wrap things up. Pete and I are going to go watch the rest of Alec Manoa's start. Hope you are all having a good Thursday right now, a good Monday by the time you listen. You're enjoying your holiday weekend. We will be back with you again next week. A reminder to follow, subscribe, leave ratings and reviews. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us on Twitter at Keep or Cut. That's Cut with a K. You can also reach us individually at Pete B Baseball and at Chad Young. Love to hear from you. Love to answer your questions. Let us know what you want to hear on the show. If you happen to know Marcus Simeon and know how to get him on a podcast, please reach <laughs> out to us. Reach out to him. We're, we would love to talk to him. Everyone, have a good week. We'll see you next week.